You are listening to Designing the Revolution. This is chapter 18, part one, A22. The revolution has to be international. Sounds like a reasonable idea. People have been discussing this for a long, long time. There's no point having major regime change, cultural change in one country. It has to happen in lots of countries and preferably it has to happen in lots of countries all at the same time in close sequence. So the good news is, is that this talk and the next one is looking at civil resistance organisations in several different European and Western countries. And they're all part of this network, A22. It's called A22 because it was set up in April 2022. So all these um, projects broadly follow the uh, methodologies that have been set up, uh, been described in, in previous episodes. So what I'm going to do is is give a bit more of a grounded view of how these projects have got going, how they relate to each other, uh, how the A22 network has created an international uh, organisation. And, and it gives a sort of template of how you can replicate these highly successful organisational forms and also at the same time federate them so you get some international strategic coherence as you might say and the top level point here of course is that these organizations have this confrontation uh, this action uh, paradigm they're not networks for debate they're not organizations for lobbying they're here to create civil resistance against the climate criminality and they're facing of course uh, varying degrees of repression okay so we've talked about this quite a lot in previous talks but um, let's just remind ourselves that over the last 30-40 years in terms of pragmatic empirical research on the major themes of the left project, i.e. equality and liberty, there's been a healthy moving away from the old conflict between, you know, top-down and bottom-up, hierarchy and horizontal. And the actual frontline research is quite exciting because what it's saying is is there is in fact no conflict in the sense that without a strong centre you can't have effective decentralisation and you can't have a strong centre without effective decentralisation and you might want to check out you know some of the literature on Porto Allegri on Kerala there's a number of what you might call post-dogmatic Marxist sort of left experiments over the last two or three decades. And really that, that 
that research has formed the ground, the grounding as it were, for these A22 projects. The, and, and they've been centred in these two major uh, propositions. The first proposition is, if you're going to get anywhere, you need a functional hierarchy. The words functional hierarchy are problematic. You know, the word hierarchy triggers all sorts of reactions in some people. But the point is, is this open arrangement where there's some people making the key decisions, they delegate authority, they give autonomy, they take feedback. The people at the top, in, the, in the top group, you know, rotate. It's humanised, got service orientation. So there's all sorts of sophisticated elements which we've been talking about that make it work well. But it avoids the extreme of this old, you know, Leninist, do as I say, otherwise you're going to get shot sort of rubbish. And at the same time, it avoids the other extreme of this amorphous, horizontalist mush where everyone's involved in everything and nothing therefore happens and related themes. And then there's this second discovery, as you might say, of the design of the social space, which I've been more involved with, with my own research. And we've talked about it lots of times, so I'm not going to go through it again. But this whole notion that the social space creates sociability and what have you. So the A22 projects have come out of this, you know, this intellectual sort of process. And more concretely, they've come out of the empirical developments in uh, Extinction Rebellion, leading through to Insulate Britain in the UK and Just Stop Oil, and this systematisation that I've been primarily involved with in, for 24 months now. And what we've done is, you know, and I'll describe this in more details in a minute, is, is use a template and then basically go and sell it around the Western world. Go to groups and say, hey guys, should try this because <laughs> it works you know um, uh, and replicate it so you know that gives that gives this grounding a22 didn't you know appear one day it's from this intellectual tradition and it's from this sort of pragmatic uh, actual real real world frontline design uh, confrontational situation we've had growing since 2019 in, in the western world so what i'm going to do is I'm going to describe how this A22 situation works. <clears throat> I'm going to just tell you briefly about four key elements, four non-negotiable elements uh, that, that exist in order to set up an A22 project in a, in a Western world country. Then I'm going to talk about the dynamo mechanism which we've already covered but I'll show how that works in an A22 project process and then I'm going to talk about culture which is often left off the agenda as it were but it's absolutely critical because culture trumps strategy as they say and how that culture is embedded in an A22 context and then finally at the end of this part of it I'm going to talk in some micro detail in some detail about this critical moment, this critical few weeks, you know, month or two of setting up a project and how you just bring it from zero through to sort of 30, 40 people, which as I'll argue is the critical like design challenge of creating civil resistance in Western societies at this present 
moment in time. Okay, so let's trundle through it, shall we? So the four elements, um, you know, these will be fairly familiar to you, of course, but the, the thing to take on board here is the non-negotiableness of this, right? This is not like the original Extinction Rebellion philosophy, which was, you know, someone in Spain wants to set up an XR group, you send them a few bits of paper, you have a session with them, and then you go, good luck and hope for the best. This is a lot, 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 lot more. This is what you do. If you don't want to do it, that's cool. You can go and do something else, right? No one's forcing anyone. If you want to do an A22 project, number one, you need six to eight people in a central group. Those people are the executive. They control the project. They're responsible for the project. They need to have a culture of service and, and openness and competency and humility. And they're in control. And everyone knows they're in control. There's no fuzziness. There's no structuralist nonsense. It's like, this is it. You've got the job, okay? Um, probably, in a way, the most critical element. Number two. There is a demand of the government. It's concrete. It's Martin Luther King move through the campaigns philosophy of change, which we talked about in the last episode. We want this, and it's it's achievable. It's popular. It's part. You know, it's it's incremental in a sense, and it's doable. You could win this if you got enough people on the street. In other words. We're not going for the motions here. This is not performative protest. This is not turn up on a Saturday to express your discontent with the government. This is we are wanting you to change and moving beyond protest into civil resistance. We will force you. We will force you to change through civil resistance because what you are doing is unconstitutional, illegal, immoral, obscene, etc. Number three civil disobedience. This is not an old bureaucratic left, you know, uh, Grumpsky-esque, let's move through the institutions routine. We're not lobbying. We're not sitting around discussing. We're not moving through the committees. We are out in the street creating disruption, getting on the front pages of the papers, getting in the news. And we're doing civil disobedience day after day after day. This is not go down to London and do it for one day. This is ongoing, like Insulate Britain, seven weeks, three times a week in the motorways. Bang, 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 bang. It's attrition. It's ongoing. It gains massive public attention, 90% name recognition. Massive, right? Number four, mobilisation. Systematic recruitment of ordinary people beyond the activist bubble, beyond the capital city, beyond the urban middle class, beyond the sort of young person silo, beyond the sort of older person, retired teacher silo, right? This is about going and speaking to human beings, going to speaking to, to citizens and saying, this is a universal affront to all our values. This is a violation of everything we believe in. This is something that you have no choice but to engage in. And the mechanism of that is through these local meetings, these offline meetings, online meetings, hundreds of them, thousand meetings in four months, like was done in Germany last year. It's a lot of work and it works. Okay. So those are those are the four, 
you know, elements, and you'll be familiar with them if you've seen the previous episodes. And they're, they're non-negotiable. It's not like a group can come to A22 and say, well, you know, we like three of them, but we don't fancy doing mobilisation. It's like, that's cool. That's not A22. All right. So second thing is the expansion dynamo. Again, we've gone through this, but I'm going to, you know, go through it a little bit more in terms of, first of all, this is an iteration. It's not like we go to a group in a European country and go, you do this, this and this, and then you go and do A, and suddenly you're going to win. It's like, you do this, this and this, you get uh, 20 people, and you go out and you sit in the road, or you blockade something, or you go and throw soup over something. Um, and then you mobilise again, and then you get 50 people, and then you mobilise again, and you get 200 people, and then you mobilise again, and you get 1,000 people. That's this continual iteration and interaction uh, and fusion between mobilisation, meetings, publicising, you know, increasingly online promotion and such like, and then this funnel, people coming through and then getting involved. Um, so there's two elements to this dynamo, right? First of all, there's the money element. Money is energy. Money drives social activity. If you haven't got money, then you've got an intrinsic limits. Okay, you either have, you know, a few people working really hard over a long period, or you have lots and lots of people doing something for two or three weeks, and then it runs runs out of steam. If you want a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, four thousand people in an organisational setting doing things month after month for eighteen months, people are going to be paid. If you don't pay them then you're just going to get middle class, you know, older people who can afford to work full time. You're going to get these informal hierarchies. You're going to exclude, you know, younger people, people of colour. You know, it's it's no good. No one's pretending money isn't problematic for all the good reasons we know. But so the whole notion here is to monetize uh, this this iterative process. So when people are put into prison, there's adverts on social media. Uh, when you're in the meetings, you're asking for donations at the end of the meeting. This is a traditional trade union, social movement orientation, like we fund ourselves. Obviously, you know, some money and a lot of money did come from p cultural figures who were very uh, generous um, in order to get the A22 situation on the go. So there's no question about that. But the reason they gave money, let me emphasise this, the reason they gave money is because it was organised, okay? <laughs> because it had a track record, because it was credible, because it had stats, right? It wasn't, hey, we're cool activists and we're going to do stuff on the climate. It was like, here's two pages and white works. You put this money in and you get these many, this many people recruited. It's like a plan. So you've got this money coming in and the money basically then is used to fund the full-time organisers who then go and organise meetings and they organise more meetings and these extra meetings creates more credibility, more money, which feeds into more meetings. So you have this dynamo, iterative uh, process between money and meetings and full-time people and then this other iterative uh, positive feedback loop between doing actions and mobilisation and actions. So all these things is this ongoing circular process. It's not do this and then do this, right? 
that's mechanical thinking. This is an ecological living system of interactive, interactive elements. So the meetings, of course, you know, cover a multitude of sins, of course. <coughs> so you have the classical meeting, which is, you know, Victorian mobilising, 19th century mobilising. Go to Village X, hand out 5,000 leaflets. You know, you get this collective mix of people, grandmothers, small shopkeepers coming. You know, most people can't really cope, but you get a small number of people. And this provides um, uh, demographical pluralism, right? Demographic uh variety it's not all young people it's not all professional people and i think i may have mentioned this but you know in my view this is what made extinction rebellion in 2019 fundamentally different to many of the western uh western society extinction rebellion formations that set up in the following year in 2020 what happened was these uh the xr brand was inadvertently or not so inadvertently captured by professional middle-class urban people in Western countries, which is fine, no one's got a problem with that, but then they sat on the brand. They didn't systematically go out and mobilise. Well, in the UK, we had a good 500 meetings, even before April 2019, where we were going to every, every region of the country, every uh, council, every town, and we had these 200 groups. So you had immediately uh, what you might call a national spread of demographics. And it gave it a completely different character to some of the European countries where this wasn't, uh, didn't happen. Then, you know, just to return to all the meetings, you've got the celebrity meetings, you know, cultural figures. They do a Zoom for you and bring people in. Um, and then you've got sectional meetings i.e. meetings with trade unions, meetings with the church, meetings with young people, meetings with people of colour, where you're setting up a group who uh, belong to that social group and they promote uh, the civil resistance um, organisation within that group. And maybe they set up a sub-organisation, you know, like at the moment it's the Student Resistance Network, I think it's going to be called. So it has an identity, but it has an identity within just a POIL, within this broader coalition framework. So again, you get the best of both worlds. You get the strategic discipline of everyone working together and you get the identity pluralism of people, you know, be wanting to mix with people who are similar in various demographical ways. Um, okay, so that's the expansion mechanism. Then the last thing is, is creating the culture. So creating the culture, as we've talked about, is creating leadership, like ethical, charismatic, uh, positive, humorous, self-depreciating leadership. You know, I'm nothing special, but I've come to talk to you today, all that sort of stuff. Um, so you've got the central group. The central group headhunts, uses its authority, as it were, to headhunt. Headhunt is a key concept, right? You're not getting anyone into positions of responsibility. You're going, Joe, he's quite a cool guy. I'm going to have a chat with him. Will you do this with me? Ask, ask the person to do something specific and then ask them to take on a role. You know, maybe they're going to be great at it, maybe they're not. This is totally different than self-selection. Self-selection is where people decide, you know, more often than not, that because of some egotistical reasons, some, you know, 
sociological sense of entitlement, they're white, middle class, uh, university educated, they should be in charge. Well, you know, seven times out of ten, they shouldn't be in charge because they're not actually very good at being in charge because primarily they're quite egotistical. What you want is to be choosing people because they're competent and they're um, humble, right? They're in service. They're not asking to be given a position of authority. You're asking them to, to take on that authority. And so you develop these working groups around, around the uh, central group and in the last analysis they can be disbanded or the coordinator can be asked to step down uh, so there's some sort of protection discipline in the system and at the same time there's a humanization they provide feedback they go and you know sit in on part of the uh, central group meeting they do reports they you know ask advice there's continual interaction in a sort of living sociability sort of a way uh, then there's an induction process. The induction process is compulsory. Anyone who wants to join the A22 project, they have to go to an hour, two hour, you know, hardcore, this is what we're about. If you don't like it, you know, no worries. You can go and set up your own project. But if you're in this, you know, you have to entertain uh, the notion of service, uh, trust, integrity, accountability, uh, statistical accountability, being a team player. Uh, I spoke about this in, in more detail in other episodes. Um, and then, you know, moving a little bit broader in terms of a cultural strategy, this notion of, of a structural approach to diversity. So as I'm sure many of you watching this, you know, know this sort of inclusive sort of diversity agenda is profoundly defective and uh, self-contradictory because it doesn't actually take itself seriously. You know, it degenerates into a sort of guilt-trippy, radical left, urban, you know, rabbit hole. And at best, it results in a rather embarrassing tokenism. Oh, there's a young person, let them, let's get them onto the core group. Oh, there's a person of colour, you know, let's ask them to be a speaker. What the A22 projects are doing at best, and, you know, there's a big challenge around this, I'm not pretending there isn't for a moment, is a structural approach, uh, approach to inclusion. In other words, like what we did between Insulate Britain and Just Stop Oil, was say, there's not many young people involved in Insulate Britain, so we're we going to go to 20 universities, hand out 5,000 leaflets, have you know 50 meetings uh, follow-up meetings and we're going to structurally engage with young people so we can get 100 200 300 young people into just stop oil and then we're going to mentor them and then we're going to put them into positions of running action groups and we're going to um, train them to go and speak on the media so within three months we had this massive success that we went from an organisation which is primarily run by older people to an organisation run primarily with young people. So in my view, you know, this can be done with farmers, it can be done with uh, um, ethnic groups, you know, people of colour, and it's a completely different way of approaching, uh, again, building a big civil resistance coalition, as you might say. And then another cultural deepening is 
particularly in this ever-increasing context of repression, which is happening in the UK at the present moment, people being sent to prison for, you know, saying climate change in court and such like, is, is a culture of care and attention um, given to people who are arrested, who go to prison, uh, so that they feel part of this wider community of support. Now, what I've just outlined there in terms of this culture, there's probably people listening to this <laughs> going, well, it doesn't work that well, Roger, which is obviously totally the case. Uh, but in terms of structural uh, analysis, my proposition is, is the A22 networkers, because of its organisational uh, paradigm of going, we're going to actually think about this consistently and get stats and do training and all the rest of it, it's fundamentally different from this sludge and chaos of a sort of horizontalist orientation. All right, so I'm just going to finish this section, first section of this uh, talking about A22, just to sort of burrow down, burrow down into this micro detail about how you set up a civil resistance organisation in Western democracy. And as we'll come on to discuss in the second part, you know, this model can be replicated for a social campaign, you know, social justice campaign on uh, homelessness or food poverty, or it can be uh, used, this model can be used to create a campaign around, you know, demanding a constitution, which is what I'm working on with one group at the moment. So it's worthwhile just attending to the next 10 minutes because going from zero people to 30 people is probably 60-70% of the challenge. Once you get to 30 people, this might sound mad, but once you get to 30 people, it's more or less like follow the recipe and you've got a good 50-50 chance of becoming, you know, a major campaign in your country, if not the largest, uh, well, most well-known climate or civil resistance campaign, which is quite a claim to make, isn't it? So how do you get from zero to... Um, zero to 30 people. So I should say at this moment that if you're watching this on YouTube, there's a longer video on this called, I think it's how you change, um, um, what is that? Uh, how to stop climate change in, in six months, I think it's called. So, you know, that give, goes into quite a lot of detail about it as well. Though that was made about a year ago. So I'm going to give you a little bit of an update on the basis of quite a lot of setting up of about 10, 15 groups over the last year. So what's, in, what's interesting here is, is who do you get? <laughs> this is a big question. Who actually do you recruit to be on your, you know, supposedly great dynamic group of six? This is the biggest problem out of the big problem of getting to 30 people. So sometimes this works through you know, people have heard about an A22 project in another country or they've, you know, seen one of my videos. Maybe there's someone watching this video or this podcast and they're going, hey, we could do this in my country, you know. So they get in touch and the A22 network has a little bureaucracy. I'll be talking about this more in the next talk and you have a meeting. And in that meeting, you know, there's three outcomes. It's like we go no, 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 you know, this person's just not going to be able to get it together. Or, you know, this is cool, let's pursue the scenario. Or, you know, this is really great, we're on the go. You know, this person brings four people with them, they're serious, they're conscientious, they're polite, 
you know, they're passionate, they want to learn. Um, okay, let's do it, you know. Now, there's this irreducible, you know, concept of chemistry and, you know, I'm not pretending I've got to the bottom of this one by any means, but some groups look great and then they fall apart. And other groups look a little bit tricky and then they come through. <laughs> you never quite know. So there's an irreducible 50-50 chance the whole thing, you know, falls apart in the first four weeks. But to the extent that it doesn't, um, it helps to follow these next few points. So the first thing is, is it's good to have an open meeting with A22 network uh, uh, testimonies. So you go to Country X and you've got your six people, or maybe you haven't got any people, but you've got some contacts in that country. And you have an open meeting and you say, look, we're coming to Country X and we want to set up an A22 project. This is how it works. Don't take it from us. Here's some testimonies. So you have testimony for 10 minutes from people from Germany, testimony for 10 minutes from people from France, you know, Switzerland. And people listening to it are going, oh my God, you know, this is, this is real. This, it happens in lots of different countries and these people know what they're doing and they're being successful. So it has a massive empowering effect and it has a massive community building effect because you think, oh, I'm not alone here. It's not like I'm reading, you know, it's, it's not like I'm reading a book and then I'm all on my own. <laughs> yeah, just watching a video from Roger Hallam or something. You're, you're part of this community of, uh, of, of learning, right? A community of, of support. Um, okay, so, so you've got your open meeting, you've got your group together. It might look really good, it might look a bit scary, it might all fall to, fall, fall to bits, but let's assume it gets itself together. The reason, one of the reasons it's going to get itself together is you're going to do this rapid induction uh, method uh, of this group. In other words, um, that group is going to be met with uh, every week. Now, as it happens, I've just done this experiment, which is even more intensive, which is two one-hour meetings a week with three people in the room, myself and two A22 assistants, as it were, and we go bang, 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 bang through this list of things that people have to do. And as it happens, it's worked really well. So that's the level of what you might call micromanagement. It's not like, hey guys, you know, here's a bunch of principles. Let us know if you've got any problems. We'll check in with you next month. It's more like, go and do a one pager on your strategy. We need to that done by Friday. We're going to look at it. We're going to comment on it. And if you make recommendations, you know, other things being equal, you're going to take those recommendations on. And there's going to be like six or seven projects, you know, what your induction process is, you know, what your timeline is, what, how you're going to raise the money, you know, what your demands are. You know, there's a whole bunch of checklist. There's basically a checklist. And then through that, through that process, you're continually reminding people about the ethos, that this is a supportive group that each of you have to love each other and forgive each other and not be harsh because it's difficult and we're all humans and we're learning and people make mistakes, you know. It's a service orientation, it's a trust-based group. We're here to trust each other. Maybe Joe's going to get it wrong. We're going to have to trust him because if we don't, you know, you can't achieve anything unless you, you know, are able to give that sort of risk, as you might say then it's statistical. People are collecting their stats, they're reporting back, they're accountable. Uh, they're not going to be shamed. 
they're just going to be helped if you know something hasn't quite happened properly you know they give tasks back if they've got too much going on uh, and such like so then through this process they're going to create their mobilization plan right they're going to decide on the four elements you know what the name is they've got their group they've got their aim they've got their civil disobedience project and they're going to do their mass mobilizing and they've got their checklist and they're going through all this and they're helped every week and they're doing statistical feedback then they get seed funding so this is really important a critical reason why a 22 projects are successful is they get money really quickly but they don't get a lot they get like five thousand dollars ten thousand dollars enough basically to pay for the banners you know all the paraphernalia you need if you're just a small group you know unless someone's got loads of money it's a real pain because as many people will know watching this no doubt or listening to it if you've got no money it's just everything takes loads longer because you're trying to scrape together that $50 or that $100 to do things. So it's gloriously fantastic if you've got an international network that will just throw you $5,000, you know, without you having any real objective credibility because they believe in you because you're following this methodology. So there's a gamification element here, which is, and by gamification, you know, it's just a posh word for, if you do this, we'll give you this money. If you do this, then we give you more money. And if you do this, you'll get even more money. Which all sounds a little bit capitalistic and in a sense it is. And the reason why you do it is because it works. Okay, so it's not done in some sort of nasty, you know, we'll break your legs if you don't get to the next stage sort of situation. It's, you know, it's a supportive thing, but it's real. Okay, if you don't do, if you don't get your shit together, then why should anyone give you money, right? You know, maybe you can give it to another group, you know, in another country because you know this stuff doesn't grow on trees as they say and this energy can be given to another group so if you want to get the money then you need to follow the methodology and that involves providing real-time stats which you know is very difficult because <laughs> a lot of people don't like providing stats so it's a bit of a battle but it's something that's an ongoing process of cultural change in the activist community in the western world is if you want to actually organize thousands of people you need statistical feedback because you need to know what's going on you need to be able to allocate resources you need to you know get involved in something if it's all falling apart to find out where it's falling apart you need the stats something's working really well you need to know you need to know the stats and then you can say wow those guys are doing really well and get the rest of the system to follow them and then you've got the cultural trans trans uh, transmission process you know picking out the leadership the leader characters the charismatic people getting them to do the induction sessions you know give them you know show them how to do pep talks get them to do you know your first 20 talks around the country and such like okay so broadly speaking you can see hopefully you can see this is detailed stuff okay and i i'm not going to you know spend another two hours going into it if you're watching this and you're going wow this sounds exciting because it is then you can contact me you know i've got a website where you can look up a22 you just email email them there's no pressure you can have an exploratory chat you know it might be a project in a country which has already got a project in that's no problem and uh, and then other things being equal you will get uh, get put on this 
uh, process and we'll see see what happens okay so i'm going to leave it there because in the next part i'm going to go on to the the uh, the broader design of a22 and the international aspects to it and the broader political aspects to it and um yeah all good thanks very much <laughs>